I think by now we now know where we are as, as far as our studies in the book of Ecclesiastes are concerned. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, um, last Sunday we put verses 1 and 2 to chapter 5. So let's pick it from there so that we have a good connection and then see how far we'll go. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but God does not enable him to enjoy them, and a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy the prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shredded. Though it has never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place. All man's efforts out of his mouth yet his appetite is never satisfied. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a fool, what does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eye sees than the revolving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and what man is has been known. No man can contend with one who is stronger than he. The more the words, the less the meaning, and how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a man in life during a few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow, who can tell him what will happen under the sun after he is gone. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer again. Dear God and our Father in heaven, we are grateful, O Lord, in heaven, for this opportunity that you have given us to read from this, your holy word. We are grateful, dear God, that it is you who enables us to even take time to turn to the scriptures. 
Now, O oh Master, like it has already been prayed, may you enable both the speaker and the listeners that this word will be meaningful to us. Build us, O oh Lord, through this word, for the sake and glory of your name. Amen. I have entitled the sermon this morning as How Can One Enjoy Life? How Can One Enjoy Life? I want to begin this section of our studies by quoting words of a man who lived 104 years. 104 years he was still alive. His name is Jim Vaughan. Vaughan is believed to have lived a longer life and a happy life. And so some reporters went and interviewed this man at 104 years. They asked him, what was his secret? And this is what he said, and I quote, There are three things that one should do to live and enjoy life. You should laugh, you should think and act, you should cry. That is a full day, end of quote. So let me repeat what he said. You should laugh. Those of you are always annoyed, you are cutting your life short. You should think and act. Some of you just think you do not act. You are cutting your life short. You should cry. Those of you that are men who don't cry, I won't say start crying, but express your emotions. And he says that is a full day. But let me continue by saying, I don't know if we can all agree with him that those are the three things that we should do. Uh, because people have done other researches and have told us certain things that people should do for them to live longer. And in the text that we have read, the author is drawing us to that same question. What can I do for me to live longer? And, and he says, sometimes it's meaningless. A man can live for a hundred years and still not enjoy life. And then he repeats himself, actually, a hundred may, you may think it's okay, but a thousand years. Yesterday on the news, they showed a lady who has lived for a longer period here in Kitwe. I can't remember exactly, but 100 plus. And I looked at the daughters. They look like their sisters. But friends, still the need to enjoy life is not... Is, is, there, is there. It is still there. No one in their old age, turns and says, I have lived long enough. I have enjoyed life. Let me die now. We all say, don't, 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 don't. We still need you. So then, how can one enjoy life? 
It is a serious question that we should pay attention to. Like I said at the beginning, we have already seen verses 1 and 2, where they belong, and now we are picking it from verse 3. How can one enjoy life? This is the way I have divided um, this, this portion of Scripture. From verses 3 to 6, it is, the, it is the call for us to be thinking or imagining. From verses, nine, from verses 7 to 9, it is to look at the efforts of man. The efforts that man does to hopefully live longer. And then verses 10 to 11 is just the acknowledgement that God is always God. Uh, then verse 12 becomes the commentary, if you like, for the whole of the chapter. So verse 3 to 6, a call to think. 7 to 9, the efforts of man looking for how man should live longer. Then verses 10 to 11, the acknowledgement of the fact that God is God. And then verse 12 as a commentary for the whole chapter itself. Let's then try to answer the question, how can one enjoy life? But in doing so, I want to suggest that we look at the issue of the heart first. In this text, as we begin to look at this, the question, we are we, we, we should be reminded of where the author is coming from. He wants us to take our glasses and on the, as we wear these glasses, there are lenses from God's point of view and there are also lenses from man's point of view. And as we wear these glasses, are we reading from man's point of view or we are reading from God's point of view. Some of you have glasses that are bifocals. When you look like this, you see the image differently. And when you do that, you see it differently. Sometimes you have wondered why people wear glasses and they still do that. We want to focus, to see properly. And in focusing, we want to see from the actual point of view. Because sometimes like that, everyone looks as if they are all dancing. And like that, everyone is still. You begin to say, now, what are they doing? Are they dancing or they are still? So you go like that, then you see them properly. And friends, sometimes when you look like that, it is enjoyable to see people who are dancing. And you pick it from there and say, yeah, I saw them dancing. But actually take the next lens. You see them seated still and wondering why are they quiet and yet I saw them dancing. So that, that's where the author is coming. That's why as he writes, he blows the whistle from a human point of view and blows another whistle from God's point of view. And in this text, he's helping us to do that. And he says, 
as we answer the question, how can man enjoy life? Let's look at the issue of the heart. He's telling us, don't look at other places. Look at your heart. Look at the heart of man. And by the heart of man, I don't mean that thing that pumps blood in you. I want you to look at your attitudes, at your minds, at your cravings, at things that give you the peace of mind. And let's look at it from verse 3 to 6. We are being introduced to a heart that is discouraged and almost giving up. A heart that is discouraged and almost giving up. Do you sometimes feel discouraged? If you don't, you are not normal. Normal people, many times they feel discouraged and almost giving up. And listen to how this heart of a man who is discouraged is. A man may have a hundred children and live many long years. Yet no matter how long he lives, he can not enjoy his prosperity and does not receive a proper burial. That is discouraging. That's painful to the heart. A man with 100 or 200 children is supposed to sit and relax and say, thanks be to God, I am a man. Who else has hundred children? No one. And he should go and sleep freely. I have a hundred children. Because when these hundred children are grown, surely this one will bring bread, the other one is going to bring butter, the other one is going to do that, the other one is going to do that. And the father is just going to say, um, today can I drive a Ford Ranger from so-and-so? Uh, today can I drive a Mercedes-Benz from so-and-so? Today can I be driven in the Alpha? And all kinds of cars, hundred children. But the text is telling us to say, take the next glasses. Take the next set of lenses you see that this man is miserable. He can't enjoy it. If he's a Bemba, he's going to say, Chishichankolele. Then they're going to look at him, ah, it's your fault, you have hundred of them, feed them. I recently picked a, a statistics in, in Uganda. <laughs> I was shocked that even in Uganda these things are happening. The man is 78 years old. He has 13 wives, 126 children, 96 grandchildren. On top of that, he has 10 girlfriends. <laughs> the sad thing is this. He's asking for the government to help him look after his children. Should the government help him? If I was the government, you know what my answer is. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It is a heart that is discouraged and almost giving up. Friends, we are not going very far in our own town of Kitwe. In one of the sections of our town, there are young girls competing to have children. So and so is in grade nine. As if you are just picking stones. Thinking when they have a child, they'll be happy. But then when the baby is born, there's that and this and that needed for the life of the baby. They become miserable. A heart that is discouraged. Friends, we are not just talking about children here. We are talking about the pleasures of this world. We are talking about the things that we may own. We are talking about things that may go by our names. Actually, it is said that most people who commit suicide are those who have a lot of things to respond to. It is said that they do not find fulfillment because they have too many. They begin to wonder, how can I enjoy life? You may think you you enjoy life when you have three girlfriends or five girlfriends. They'll milk you and it'll be miserable. But listen what the wise man said. Enjoy life with the wife of your youth. A wife of your youth. How does man enjoy life? It is when we see the cravings of our hearts. Will these things make me happy or even sad? Some people were praying that when I get a job, I'll be praising God more. They got the job. That's when they started not coming for prayer meetings. Others were praying for a husband, but the moment they got married, that's when they got discouraged from serving God. A discouraged heart, almost giving up. Such a one cannot enjoy life. But there's a second heart that we should look at. A heart that has been cancelled a heart that has been directed, a heart that has been helped, but still hating, but still broken. Better what the eye sees than the revolving of the appetite. This too is meaningless chasing after the wind. Actually, the way counseling is supposed to be is to help to go along with somebody that is in pain so that they can be relieved out of pain. 
so that they can think clearly and make a decision arising from the counsel they get. But you and me know that many times we've been counseled, we've been shown the way, but we still say, better what I see others doing than what you're telling me. And so what do we do? If the wind is blowing this way, we are also going that way because that's what I'm seeing with my eyes than what I have heard from the counsel that has, has been given to me. The writer of the book of James in chapter 4 verses 1 asks the question, where do wars and fightings come from amongst you? It is from the evil desires of your hearts. When you are counseled, you are supposed to arrive at a good decision. If a young lady, for example, goes, wants to abort, they would go to a counselor and say, is it okay for me to, to, to abort? The counselor is going to walk through with them to see the dangers that are there as far as abortion is concerned. For, for, for this girl to arrive at a point whether they should do it or not. But as they go along, the girl begins to say, yes, I hear you. Yes, I understand. Thank you for helping me. And the counselor is going to say, thank you. Bye-bye. On your way. Go. And the girl turns and meets a friend. And this friend says, ah, me I bought it last week. I'm okay. All the counsel is thrown away. To her, it's better what I see than what I heard. Many of us are instructed from the word of God. Many of us know what it means. But our action does not tell us so. That's why that man said, you should think and act so that you can live longer. So a heart that has been cancelled, but still hating. The counseling is meant to reduce on your hurt or for you to change direction from what you want to do. But then we begin to act like children. And we know children, they are always taught, don't do this. Then the child is going to say, but why? The mother is going to explain, if you do this and that and that, you'll be sick. But so-and-so didn't get sick because they did it. That's why I think the African mother in the village did a good job as far as counseling was concerned. They went to the big things 
If you do this and this, if you eat eggs, tawakafiale, and you realize, shakafiale, in the future, an egg to eat today, then to many years away with the egg. Or they'll tell you, die. <laughs> Your fingers will grow long and everybody's going to... All those things to scare you so that you change your mind. But the heart of the Christian today is that they are instructed from the word of God to come up with a reasonable answer. Well, they still go their own direction. In the village they knew that if you eat the eggs there will be no chicks. So they scared you. If you eat eggs you have a bald head. And you wanted to be careful. Sorry, Dasheba, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but friends, are there things that you feel you have not been instructed as a Christian? Here is time for us to be instructed. Let's go to the scriptures and find answers for us to enjoy life. If we go to the scriptures and find the answers of us to enjoy life, then all these other things will be like things that are not meaningful and find the scriptures to be meaningful to us. Because the scriptures are very clear. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. But I, I think we are doing the reverse. Can all these things be added to me? Then I can seek the kingdom of God. A heart that is cancelled but still hurty. Who doesn't know? Like that James, that, that question that James has asked in chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and quarrels come from? Don't we know the effects of war? But even as advanced as human beings have become 2022, 20, we are starting wars. We've been instructed, but we do not want to follow the instructions. We've been counseled, but we don't want to follow the counsel because of our evil desires. That way, you cannot enjoy life. But there's another heart from our text. A heart that is educated, but still wanders about the heart that is educated but still wanders about is the one that is in verse 10. Whatever exists has already been named. And what man is has been known. No man can contend with one who is stronger than he. It almost connected to the council, but this time it is the idea of having the knowledge. We're educated. We are made aware that all that has ever existed has already been named. There's nothing new under the sun. Maybe just to remind some generations here. 
the trousers that are coming now to say they are tight to your body, they are not a new thing. We used to wear them. That's why we're not wearing them. For us, it's old fashioned. <laughs> we used to call them pompy, to my pompy. So just in case you thought it's new thing, it's not new thing. The jeans that are a bit torn and faded, we used to call them stone wash. So they're not new, they're old fashioned. That's why we don't, we used, there's one jeans we used to call Saturn. So because the name Saturn, we never used to wear jeans. So they're not new. But you know what? Even when we know that, Man is busy looking for something new. Trying to invent this, do that, do that. And we are putting all our attention on inventing things. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we remove God out of the picture, this is how painful life can be. You can't enjoy it. At one time, I had the privilege to go to the United States of America. I had my laptop. And when I went to America, it had a, a virus. And they wanted, I wanted it cleaned. We cleaned it. And I was happy. And then I needed a cable. I said, since I'm here, let's find, let me find a cable so that when I go back home, I'll be using a new cable. And I went with my laptop into the shop. And I was happy that they're going to help me. They looked at this laptop. Sorry, sir, I think this is old machine. We don't have parts for this. I, I said, can you say that again? <laughs> Sorry, this is odd. Anyway, this is the one that I use. You are saying it odd. It's, it's outdated. Then I said, but uh, I still use it. They said the moment something leaves the, the, the factory, it's odd. The moment it leaves our shops, it's odd. Sorry, we don't have these parts. Quietly, I folded my laptop and went away. <laughs> That's, that's how life is. Things keep changing. If we make that as our priority number one, whatever comes out I should have, we can't make it. We can't. We will not enjoy life. I thought I was going to be happy with a cable from America, but I was told it's old. Simple things, even the frame of glasses, they also become odd. How? I begin to tell me, I'm using it, it's okay. But friends, even when we have this idea, we have this knowledge, things will keep changing and changing and changing. Let me tell you what we should do. There's one who does not change. 
He does not even change like the shadows move. In the morning, your shadow is longer. During the day, your shadow is shorter. In the evening, your shadow will be longer. Sometimes you can't see your shadow because there's a cloud cover. There's not enough light. But we have God who does not change. I'd rather cling to the one who does not change than focus on things that change. You know that even your spouse has changed, eh? But because you still know that this is the one that I married, we go. We go on together. But if you keep changing, just because your spouse has changed, then you're in trouble. You won't enjoy life. I think at the time I was marrying, I had a lot of hair. We used to call it Afro. And I think that it was one of my points that I was ticked on. I used to comb it very well. But it's gone. <laughs> Thanks be to God. She hasn't left me because I have no hair now. Because if you look at the physical only, you are in trouble. You'll be changing all the time. Today you believe in this God. Tomorrow you trust in that God. Today you, you do that. The following day you'll be doing that. There is God who does not change. Believe in him. Trust in him. Live for him. Save him. That way you will enjoy life. Because human beings are so scared of change. Human beings find it hard to adjust. Why not grow in this God who does not change, that we may know him better and save him better because we know him. Is that your heart that is not comfortable? Friends, I'm almost persuaded at this point to, to remind us of how important it is to continue trusting in this God. There are some words that tend to lose their meanings. We no longer enjoy them. Words like faithfulness. It is no longer a word of honor. It was people of respect. People were consistent. People were growing. People who made a change for the better are the ones that were described as being faithful. Let me just remind you as we are approaching Easter that the Lord Jesus Christ could have chosen to save you and me without the cross. 
Remember when he was praying, he said, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass. But he didn't end his prayer there. He said, yet not my will, but yours be done. I am still faithful to continue following your will. And we see the process goes even to the cross. In that painful hour he is on the cross. Something that he should have chosen not to go there. But just there at the cross. That big division is happening. God turning his back on his son. His son is still faithful. What does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even this painful hour of death, do not forsake me. That's what it means. That's what an educated heart should do. In that difficult hour, when everybody says you can do this, you can do that, but because of who you know, because of whom you are believed in, because of the results that are going to come out of it, you will say, for me, nothing else but Jesus Christ, who is the solid rock on whom I stand. All other ground is nothing but sinking sand. An educated heart is the one that is going to identify the difference between medication and poison. An educated heart is going to know that there is a difference between life and death. An educated heart will live to know what is best, not just for today, but also for tomorrow. An educated heart says, how can I contend against God? I cannot fight God. That which God has said is, it is. If God has described you as a sinner, you should acknowledge. If God has said I can save you through my son, you should acknowledge. And then there's another heart that has been described in verse 11. A heart that is tempted and is still worried. A heart that says the more the words, the less the meaning. And how does one profit anyone. Usually temptations don't come in a single word. They come in many words. And in that temptation we are taught all kinds of things. 
A tempted heart is a worried heart. Is a heart that, that is going to say, should I listen or, or not? Should I eat or not? Should I do it or not? And the tempted heart will be given two options to choose from, or more options. But I think, let me rush on to the closing verse, which is a commentary on what we have looked at already, so that we can answer the question, how can one enjoy life? Who knows what is good for a man in life during the few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow who can tell him what will happen under the sun after he is gone friends we need to answer those questions then we will know how to enjoy life Who knows what is good for you? Is it yourself or no? My late grandmother wanted me to become a teacher. She said, you should become a teacher so that people respect you. They can call you Mr. If you do another job, they don't call you mister. To my grandmother, mister is a rank. It's a higher position. By the way, the time we were growing up, some teachers were eating chickens for free. Um, but now, I don't think it's happening. My grandmother thought this is good for me to become a teacher. But I, I did not become a teacher until now. But there are some people that will say something that is good for you. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? This is good for you. But friends, God is the only one who knows what is good for you. God is the only one who knows what is good for you. Young ladies, those of you that are not yet married, here is free advice for you. People will tell you who you should marry. They used to say somebody with a cell phone, somebody with a car, somebody with a cash. Let me tell you, Ask God who knows who is good for you. Ask God. God, show me who is good for me. That is critical. Because God who knows what is good for you will also give you what is good. 
and giving you what is good will give you the ability to enjoy that which is good. Remember, in verses 1 and 2, we were told God will give somebody prosperity. God will give somebody long days. God will give somebody wealth and honor. But God may not give you the joy of enjoying those things. A stranger, a stranger, you know a stranger? A stranger is not somebody you grew up together with. No. Somebody that you come to discover in life that this one is also your relative. Oh, this one is also my relative. Yes, he's the one who comes to enjoy your prosperity. Sure. A stranger. Who knows? What is good for you? There is God, friends. Who knows what the future is? What is good for you? Trust him. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Call on him. People may say, no, 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 not this one. No, 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 not that. This is good for you. No. Even in terms of jobs. Ask the Lord to give you the right job. You may get a lot of money, but if you become a tester for uh, national breweries, I don't think you will enjoy it. Because they'll be calling you maybe at awkward hours, or because of testing, you'll be drunk all the time. Ask the Lord who knows what is good for you, for you to enjoy life. There's something else in that question, which is more or less like a commentary to the rest of the chapter. Your life is too short. Your life is too short as you have this heart that is discouraged, a heart that is cancelled and not following the counsel, a heart that is aware or educated but not living according to, and a tempted heart, you believing as though you have no future. Soon or later, death will knock on your door and you'll be wondering, why didn't I make that choice? I have people of my age who are asking themselves, ah, what was I doing when I was 40? If only what I'm doing today, I started doing it when I was 40, I, I would live a good life. But friend, you have already passed. You can't reverse it. You wish you started being faithful to God then. The next thing in us to enjoy life is to ask ourselves that question, who can tell what will happen under the sun when you are gone, when you are dead, when you are buried, when you are no more? What will people say about you? Who is it that will tell the story about you? There's God who knows what is best 
There is God who understands us better. Let me finish it this way. In answering our big question, and as we took time to reflect in the mirror of what our lives are, I want to end by inviting us to reflect on the words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that man can enjoy life? What things? The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, says, set your minds on things above. Set your minds on things above. Don't just look at things that are visible today. You should consider things of eternal value. So that even when this life that is on earth is wasting away, you have hope that there's eternal life and in eternity there's better joy or rejoicing in life than in this temporal life. This life looks to be so good, but let me remind you that it is temporal. Some temporal things look very, very good, but they should, we should be reminded that there is the reality. Trust in the Lord. Let your hearts not be troubled, the Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. That's the way you can survive. Remain in me. Stick on to God. Do not turn away from God. If you're a branch, you cannot live on your own, but trust in the Lord. In your little mind, do not lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord and will grant you the peace that transcends all human understanding. The Lord bless you all. Amen.